Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Huin of the Alabama Woodworker, and normally, typically, I'm joined by my other friend from Indiana, Guy Dunlop from Guy's Woodshop, but he is in Italy. Am I correct on that, Brian? Well, this is Guy. I'm here on the pot. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, <laughs> Guy is in Italy. Yeah, he's enjoying himself. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of uh, impersonators, <laughs> Brian <laughs> Schmidt is our other is our other co-host. How are you doing, Brian? Good evening. I am great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. The podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community, you guys, and to give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. Eh, right? Wrong? Indifferent? Hopefully, you enjoy the show. We it's also something. have a Patreon. It's something. We also have a Patreon account. And right now we have one level and we are simply asking for a small donation just to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshop life. I would also like to say hello to our newest patron, Max Igolnikov. Thank you very much. And we sincerely hope that you'll give us your support and your feedback and stay tuned till the end of the shop uh, to the end of the shop. It is shop uh, to the end of the show. And we'll talk about what we have going on in our own shops so let's get right into it it's it's just the two of us so it's going to be uh pretty quick here so you ready brian you, you hit it. it off man let's do it this question is from matt lou and uh matt says hey guys my question revolves around a home library project i'm planning on bookcases on all four walls of a small room and wondering how you'd approach that specifically what would you do about the inside corners of the room where two sets of bookcases come together just blank them off or something else and any other general tips on a library project uh or this type thanks matt so we're doing bookcases on all four corners so they're going to run into in or on all four walls excuse me so they're going to run into each other uh, mm-hmm. in the corner from the sounds of it i think he um he had given a little bit more context for what he's planning on building in his question he he said he's going to be using three quarter inch plywood carcasses it's going to be close to eight foot high with one fixed shelf in the middle and then shelf pins on on the remaining shelves so um, what that tells me is that he plans on um, building these in a single vertical plane um, mm-hmm. and that it's going to be the same depth all the way, you know, on the bottom half as it is on the top half. Um, right. I've, I have, I have built kind of a similar project before. Now it was only on two walls, but there's still that, that inside corner and in the question of what do we what do we do with that? Now on my project, I had deeper cabinets on the bottom than I did on the top. So it was, you know, maybe 22 inches deep on the bottom with a solid wood, uh, walnut countertop, and then kind of a 12 or 14 inch deep bookcase on top of that. In that case I did, I just, I let there be dead space in that, in that top corner. Um, or in the t- on the top half where the two bookcases ran together, I merely butted the the side edge of one face frame into the face of of the adjacent walls face frame, and it left kind of an empty cavity uh, in the corner there. On the bottom, however, uh, because in that case I was doing a uh, deeper cabinet than I did on the top, and it was sitting behind doors, is I actually made that. Um, 
one of the two cabinets that ran into the corner. I made it, um, I made it go all the way into the corner. So when you open the door, instead of being greeted by, you know, cabinet walls kind of on each side, there was a big space all the way, uh, into the corner that you were then able to access. Um, so it created a little empty space or a little extra space, uh, for storage in the bottom half for Matt with your project though, since it sounds like you're going on a single vertical plane, same depth all the way, I would just leave it dead space. I think it's, it's hard to, to make that, that corner. I mean, if you're talking about kind of a 12 by 12 vertical column of space that you're going to lose, it'd be hard to access anything anyway in there. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we, what do you think? So I've done a corner, uh, not a bookshelf, but a corner cabinet with shelving in it, similar to yeah. what, um, what Matt is talking about here, uh, or not similar to, but in the way opposite of what you were talking about. Yeah. Let me just say that in which case you have the open shelving along the corner and you're not losing that space. And what I did was I used cleats to help bolster that corner area mm, where yeah. you wouldn't normally have like a shelf pin. And yeah. so you're able to utilize that. Now, that was in our old house and we had a lot of weird inside corners because we had smaller rooms. And I did that for a bookshelf um, for an office area that just really had some small space, right? Yep. Now... Our pantry in our current house actually has shelving along that inside corner because our pantry is like a sort of cap closet with, you know, uh, uh, pantry shelving on all four sides or three sides yep. in this case, yep. right? Because you got the door on, on the one side. And what they did is they used like almost like a face frame column. Okay. So it's a face frame but there's open space behind that face frame and that helped support the shelving that didn't have have a shelf pin and then on the inside corner they put like a, a small like cleat like a one inch on either side so that it was supported and it went into a stud does that make sense i think so so are you are you able to do adjustable shelving with that design no like, no, 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 no 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 it is not oh and, and, and and Matt, I'm sorry to say that this is not an adjustable shelving type deal. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying that you might do this just for the two adjacent uh, bookcases or yeah. two adjoining corner cases, and then the rest of them would be, say, adjustable. Because the problem that you come across is that you've got to support those shelves in some way, right? Yeah. For two, for a bookcase that has two normal sides that are parallel to each other, not a problem. Mm -hmm. But to have two shelves or two sides that are perpendicular to each other, somehow in that corner, you've got to support that shelf. And my guess is that that, that shelving would be fairly large because it's spanning two instead of just, you know, a normal width bookshelf. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why I, I use the cleats and they are not adjustable and why the pantry does not have adjustable shelves in those corners because you're using the face frames as sort of like support columns and then cleats yeah. along the back. 
Yep. Anyway, so, hope that helps. <laughs> yeah, hope that helps, Matt. Good luck with the uh, project. Send us a picture. I'd love to see how that turns out. Yeah, uh, equally so. I, I always love seeing like little nooks or like um, like libraries or something, especially with like yeah. nice, beautiful shelving all around and all the books filled. It's really cool stuff. Yeah. All right, I've got the next question. This comes from Scott Cochran. Uh, Hi, guys. Really enjoy the podcast and all the useful information. Well, we appreciate you listening. I wrote before about a walnut table I am making. I have a couple of questions. I looked at the walnut at the local lumber yard. Great selection, but lumber is pretty expensive. Yeah, I know. I know it. So he's got two questions here. I'm just going to take the first one. And this is the lumber question. The lumber distributor has a great selection for the tabletop. Should I spring for quarter sawn at roughly a third more per board foot? Or should I get the common, the more common, I guess it's the FAS or, or which stands for first and seconds. Um, so, uh, Scott, if, if you're not familiar, uh, the grading for walnut is slightly different than the rest of lumber. And it, it, it simply has to do with the fact that walnut almost invariably will have some type of defect uh, branch coming out or some type of knot or whatnot in the lumber. So first and seconds are generally going to be actually graded slightly lower than your normal like red oaks or white oaks or cherries, purely for the fact that they just come with these like knots and limbs and whatnot. So if you're getting a true quarter sawn walnut, make sure that what if it is a, a, a true quarter sawn that you're not getting any of those imperfections that you normally would get with the common or the FAS. That being said, I have gotten quarter sawn walnut before and it was amazing. Uh, I had got bought it from Erian Lumber. In fact, actually, you might even want to check them out because they are constantly uh, drying and distributing uh, wood all the time. And they're actually fairly affordable to get shipped to you. So see what your prices are locally, but also consider looking at prices from some place like CR Mooterspaw, which Brian, I had told you I had recently bought from. And that stuff, mm -hmm. I had gotten FAS, which is their general, like, their general grade it was great it's beautiful stuff i mean it's not quarter sawn but it's yeah. really hard to get quarter sawn walnut because those for whatever reason i don't think walnut trunks get as wide as like some of the oaks or some of the cherries yeah. or some of the other bigger trees oh yeah. what are your thoughts on this brian would you spring for the quarter sawn or have you sprung for quarter sawn or do you really kind of like the cathedral look or the more um figured look, I guess, is maybe the term that some people yeah. use. Yeah. And, and I, right. Some of it, I think is a, a matter of personal preference and style. Um, so assuming you're building a wood base for, for your table, um, the, like either a quarter or riff sawn walnut is going to be really nice there because you do have fairly straight grain and usually on a, on a leg or an apron to your mm -hmm. table, you're going to want kind of a, a clean straight grain there as opposed to you know a bunch of wild swoops and swirls that you're going to get in the cathedral pattern of a of a flat sawn board um now for the top um i i recently in building my uh entryway table i i 
I ended up, it's only, I don't know, 14 inches deep, but I went ahead and made it up out of three different boards, three boards glued up together. And that was so that I could extract from a bigger board, the section of it that was like quartered, basically quarter riff sawn grain and very straight because I wanted on a small table like that, I wanted to just keep a clean straight grain on the top of it. Now, when you get into a big dining table, yeah, yeah, that's where I think it's, it, it looks, it looks good. I mean, again, that whether it looks good or not, it's a matter of personal, personal preference or not, but you yeah. can get away with, you know, a more cathedral flat sawn look on a larger table like that. Um, I, I would agree when I, when I did the large walnut table, modern table for this client in New York, I had sprung on the quarter sawn walnut and I was lucky because Erian charged me for just a regular cut because somehow it was just all that way. He thought I didn't want that. And when he mentioned, when Myron had mentioned it to me, I said, what are you kidding me? Send me as much as you got. (laughs) Yeah. If you're going to charge me the normal price and you're like, oh, worried that I don't want the, I'll take the quarter all day. Yeah. But yeah. it's, I would agree with you that you can get away with a lot more figure. I don't know if you want to call I don't know what is a flat Char- song. We'll call, it, we'll call it character. character. Yeah, character. Yeah, you can get a lot away with that a lot more on like a large field. But generally, I, I'm very much like you. Generally speaking, more so for like aprons or stretchers or for those narrower pieces I don't want any cathedrals. I want like yeah. the straightest grain. And it tends to be a lot easier to get that from those pieces, yep. from the larger pieces. Yeah. Um, but I would say for like the larger tabletops, it's like kind of go with, you know, what what kind of fits together best. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'll, I'll tell you, we had somebody donate um, some lumber at work that um, they had harvested off of their property and had it, you know, professionally kiln dried and, um, really, really nice stuff. And there is a board that has to, I mean, it has to be 14 feet long, probably 22 inches wide. And there's a little bit of sapwood on the outside, but it is the straightest grained, cleanest, like richest brown walnut I've ever seen in my life. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, it's basically just sitting there like a museum piece right now for how rare it probably is. It's unbelievable oh, how beautiful this walnut is. You know, it's crazy. I, I, I find more so, since we're on the topic of walnut, I find more so disturbing or problematic, maybe disturbing is not the right word, but problematic is the variation in color of walnut and not so much the grain structure. Like I'll get walnut from the same source, knowing it came from the same tree, and one board will have all like very deep dark purples and then on the total opposite side of the same tree it'll be like dark rich brown and i'm like what how did that happen yeah and can i tell you the word the 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 thing that i hate the most i shouldn't say hate i shouldn't say a lot of things but (laughs) when you have that beautiful like purple you know almost almost like borderline purple heart right it's just so very purpley but then you've got that rich dark brown and it just does not go together. And then ultimately you have to like dye it to get it yeah. darker 
and to yeah. get it to look somewhat decent because purple and I don't know, it's just odd looking to me when you yeah. have that variation. Kind of that air dried, air dried purple. Yeah. Aroma. It's yeah. gorgeous. I just wish the whole thing would look like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So. All right, man, you got the next one. All right. This one is from uh, Marcelo Faraz Cosi and uh, it's a simple question. So what, what tools do you guys regret buying? Ooh, that's a sore subject. Sorry, I've got a lot of expensive mistakes hanging in my workshop right now. <laughs> not, not, not actually, not too many. I, but, but enough. Um, yeah. The the tool that I regret buying is the tool that I bought that I didn't actually need, but I thought I needed. <laughs> and <laughs> which I'll is give, what? I'll give you a good example. Um, and. I know my dad is probably going to end up listening to this. And dad, I promise I'm going to find a use for this tool. <laughs> I put on my Christmas list yet last year that I needed uh, skew chisels. And I got them. They were exactly what I asked for. I got home and I sharpened them. And I have not used them once. <laughs> <laughs> not even once, huh? Not once. But dad, oh, I, promise, I promise I'm going to use them. And what motivated me to put them on my Christmas list? Uh, I probably read a book or a magazine article. It was talking about some of those like kind of, you know, tools that you think you, you know, that are, that are useful to have in a, uh, in unique situations. And I saw that on there and I was like, oh yeah, that'd be a good, be a good, you know, they're, they're excuse chisels. I mean, not terribly expensive, but they're not super cheap either. So that'll be a good, you know small small to medium sized gift option on the, on the <laughs> i got them and right. they're gonna they are going to become very useful at some point but right right because you do just so many blind dovetails don't you <laughs> can't cut blind dovetails you yeah. just do them all day you need all them day yes <laughs> so the tool the tool that you buy that you don't actually need now my father-in-law is giving me some excellent advice and and that is to always acquire at least one one new tool on every project you do so um as you're as you're designing new projects and thinking about how am i going to build it maybe design it in such a way that it requires the addition of a new tool and that gives you that opportunity then to to practice using it and you know once you see its usefulness play out on an actual project then you probably find a lot more ways to use that on future projects too as opposed to buying something just in case i end up needing yeah. it so my my so mine was a small example with the skew chisels we what about what about you what's the tool you regret buying so i'm very much like you in that or the advice that your did you say your father gave you or your grandfather uh, father-in-law yeah your father-in-law so that your father-in-law had given you which is oh on almost every single project I've acquired a tool yeah. now, given where I'm, my situation, a lot of times now it's a small tool. Uh, yeah. So for instance, I recently got a ceramic soldering iron. And the reason why I got a ceramic soldering iron isn't because I'm using it for woodworking. I'm using it to set threaded heat set threaded inserts into 3d printed parts that I'm using as glue nozzles for the domino and for biscuits and for various mm. things. So, you know, Hey, you know, it's, it's, it's a $20 tool. It's a very useful tool, but it's really kind of just to do that. But I had so many dominoes and, and, and uh, biscuits to do that. I bought that tool. Now that is a great situation where you're buying a tool and you're finding out because you're doing a project that you need that tool. 
a tool that I have not used except for in the very beginning when I was all very gung ho was an Alaskan chainsaw mill. <laughs> and, and, and an antique, I can't even remember. I think it's like 800, uh, how big, an 88 CC chainsaw. So this big honking antique chainsaw. Oh, and man. I, I have used it probably a handful of times. <laughs> I bought this chainsaw from a guy on eBay that restores these like antique steel chainsaws and this big honking thing. I paid like 500 bucks for it. It was expensive yeah. for that chainsaw. Um, but it was just, and it was just the head. It wasn't even the chain and he had to modify it to allow it to utilize like modern uh, chainsaw bars. And I bought this like, 40 inch chainsaw bar. Oh boy. <laughs> the thing is like, like this wide. And and here's the thing, the antique chainsaws, they don't have brakes. So like the only way they slow down is just through friction or just through um just slowing down yeah. uh, friction on wood or just slowing down in general. So there's no brake on it. There's no way to stop it other than take your hand off the trigger and just let it settle down. It's kind of like uh, you know, your bandsaw blade that doesn't yeah. have like a break on it. Right. You just yeah. let it spin until it stops. Um, so it's not the safest thing, although it's not extraordinarily dangerous. Don't, don't put yeah. your leg next to the chain. Um, but I didn't realize how much stinking work it is to chainsaw mill because you got to get those logs. And I had this like tiny itty bitty trail. It's not tiny. It's a, it's like a five by eight, but it, there's no way you can haul like a significant amount of logs with it. So like, yeah. so like uh, I got this chainsaw mill, but like, I can't even transport logs. You know, <laughs> I would like transport like one or two logs and it would just sit on the side of my house and it looked terrible. Thank goodness. It was when we had our old house because there's no way I could ever have like logs in my like new house with, with our HOA and whatnot. I probably oh, get yeah. fined up the wazoo. They don't, they don't like that. No, they don't like, they that. don't like that. But yeah, man, I had done that for like two seasons, like two winters. I had done that, you know, yeah. when I had a little bit of time before we had our first baby. And like, I was just realized, like, I don't have the room for this. I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> this yeah. I'm not made for this. Like, like, yeah. you know, I have to get like this huge trailer or whatever. But like, yeah, that is like probably the one tool. I mean, I don't regret it because I actually uh, gave it, gave the mill to somebody who could use it. And I sold the chainsaw head to a friend who um, who does chainsaw milling, and he's in oh, Kentucky nice. now. Um, so yeah, but I definitely lost money on it. But you know what? It was worth the experience and realizing that I just am not made out for that at and all. It, and, it, and it provided for a great answer to to a uh, question on this podcast. So worth sure. every penny. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, Next question is yours. This is from Curtis, uh, Dutch Mill Works. Uh, good day, guys. My question is probably primarily for Hui. I'm getting back into woodworking after a lengthy hiatus to a career. And by the way, this actually pertains to you too, because you got a pretty interesting method, and I'm I'm excited to have you talk about it. <laughs> so he took a, so he took a, a lengthy hiatus to a career that did not allow him to the time to do woodworking. Now that I do have time. I'm diving right back in. I'm a lifelong contract mechanical designer and have been a SolidWorks user license licensee holder since 1999. That's been a while. 
don't do the math. I won't. Or how much that has depleted my bank account in the last 24 years, because those those accounts are not cheap. And I am no rocket scientist like Louis. Ah, come on, you're a mechanical de designer. You do probably more more science than I do. I have only done work on 70 ton vehicles designed outside Detroit. Yeah, you've done a lot more design work than I have. SolidWorks is amazing, and I have designed many projects for my woodworking with it. However, I feel that it is a bit heavyweight on the design side for the projects I want to do. I want to be wood, uh, working in the shop and not spending hours designing parts, making assemblies, etc. Don't get me wrong. The end results are incredible on the design side, but the design for my woodworking shouldn't be 60% on SolidWorks and 40% on the tools. Any suggestions for the best solution for this? I have not spent a lot of time researching, but have looked into Fusion 360 and other solutions, but not greatly, as I know, there will be a thought process change required. And he's absolutely right. There is going to be a thought process change required. I am just looking for something simple, quick, and of course, accurate. We live in a 3D world, and that is an important aspect for me. Thank you so much, Curtis. So, Curtis, I actually switched from using SketchUp, SketchUp Make. Uh, so I was using that for a while, and that's great. It's a little bit wonky in how you design because uh, I'm very much like you, Curtis. I come from Pro Engineer, and Pro Engineer is extraordinarily robust, more robust than what you probably need for uh, for woodworking. But what I liked about it is that you created these datum planes, and you created different planes, and you drew on them, and you extruded, and 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 all that stuff, right? Like it was really kind of fancy, and it was nice. Um, Solid work, SolidWorks is kind of like that. Uh, I think there are a couple of things that are slightly different about SolidWorks between SolidWorks and Pro Engineer. I do not recommend Pro Engineer for woodworking. Don't. Uh, you could definitely use SolidWorks for woodworking, but it's extraordinarily robust. It seems like the main one that a lot of folks use is SketchUp Make, but I've started using one called Shaper 3D because I have a tablet laptop. It's a laptop that's also a tablet and uses can use a stylus. And what I like about Shaper 3D, and there is a free version of that. Now, I, I pay for, for it because I like having all the functionality. And to me, it's worth having that functionality for my clients. But there is a free version. The only downside to the free version is that you can only do one design at a time. So if you're okay with that, try that out. But there's also SketchUp Make, and that's relatively inexpensive. And of course, you said Fusion 360. I would put Fusion 360 at the higher point of robustness when it comes to modeling. But there are a lot of videos on Fusion 360. And I would say that if you are familiar with SolidWorks, Fusion 360, because it uses parametric scaling and parametric modeling, is probably not that far of a cry from what you already do with SolidWorks. Now, I'm going to switch it over to you, Brian, because yeah. you probably have one of the simplest methods for creating cabinets and drawers and shelving and different things that you do, particularly with built-ins and with cabinets. And what is that that you do? Yeah, so typically I'm I'm looking at a at a wall, uh, you know, a single flat wall in a room, and looking at how am I going to fill that with cabinetry 
um, floating shelves, you know, TV, et cetera, et cetera. And the easiest way I found to do that is Microsoft Excel. Now I <laughs> it's am crazy, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> I, all right, right. So for you know, I might have mentioned it on previous episodes, but my degree is in accounting for you know inactive CPA at this point. But um, so I have an affinity for for Excel. Um, <laughs> what I did is I took a file and I I set the the height and uh, width of each cell to to the same amount and filled every cell with a single space. So highlighted this whole range with a and then and then put a space into every cell, which allows me to easily measure area um, by because it will sum the number of cells that have a character in them and they considers the space a character. So it's easy to figure out, you know, if I've got, you know, the right area and what that's going to mean in terms of um, plywood utilization. And and I'll simply I'll use grid lines and I'll just start coloring in, uh, mm-hmm. coloring in until I get the the look and shape I'm looking for. And it's easy enough to, yeah, move things around that way. And it is, it is unconventional. Um, but, but it but makes it, so much it, sense though. But, it but really if, you, does. If, if you, if you're after a 2d model, it is, it is a really, really fast and easy way with no learning curve whatsoever. And to, truthfully, to why do you need it to be a 3d model? It, 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 you're, you're creating a fascia and you know what the depth is. The yeah. depth is the same, right? Yeah. yeah. So it makes a lot and, of sense. I think it does. Yeah. So it's, like I said, for, for, for no learning curve whatsoever. And I mean, I, you know, it's re- it doesn't take any time at all to, to do an entire, you know, I've got a 16 foot wall I'm working on 16 foot long wall. I'm working on designing cabinetry for now. Um, and it's, I mean, it's going to take me 20 minutes to, to get a design over to the client on that <laughs> tops. <laughs> that is um, just crazy. Yeah. That's crazy for so, me to design like a cabinet, right? I got to draw the four sides and then yeah. the back, right? And then the front, but yeah. like, in all honesty, I know how deep the cabinets are. Yeah. I mean, it's not right? going to give me a cut list or anything, but it's, it's good enough to get a kind of that visual rendering of, of what that finished product is going to look like, especially, especially in a, you know, in a room setting where, where you're designing something for, like mm-hmm. built in cabinetry. Um, mm-hmm. works really well at work. We use SketchUp pro. Um, yeah. Yeah. And guy, guy does get and, and then one other gentleman, Danny do all of our design work using SketchUp pro for any of the custom designs we do at purposeful design. Right. And um, SketchUp make is the free version, right? Um, I, I think, yeah, I think it might be called, is it called SketchUp free now? I think. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't used it in a while. I, I still have an active account. We, yeah. We use pro, which is, I don't know, it's probably 350 bucks per user per year. Um, and I think it, it's got its limitations, but it, it works fairly well. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of a cabinet shop, 350 bucks for per year per user. Yeah. yeah. Really and, and, we're doing, and we're doing pretty much exclusively standalone furniture at yeah. purposeful design. We're not doing, you know, built in cabinetry or, or much, it, or anything really too significant in the area of case goods other than some standalone credenzas, but um, it works. It works great. It works great for that guy. Guy yeah. is a wizard. He really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he can talk about that a little bit more yeah. uh, on the next episode when he comes back. So, yep. well, hopefully that helps you. Oh, oh uh, one thing that I did want to mention about SketchUp is that there are plugins because you talked about cut list. 
So I actually have SketchUp 2017, and I think you can still download SketchUp Make 2017, but it is a standalone and it's free. And what I like about that is that you can use some of the old plugins with it. And there's this plugin called Cutlass, and it's it has its issues, but it's not that bad for rough cut, cut lists and trying to figure out like what cuts you need to make on like a sheet of plywood. And I use that actually quite a bit for whenever I'm making like um, a, a, even a standalone like double dresser or credenza or something that's made out of uh, engineered plywood. So also consider that that uh, some of the apps, I think particularly SketchUp, have uh, plugins that you can use for it that are quite useful. Anyway. Yeah. Yep. All right. I, th I think I think is this your last question? This is my last question, yeah. All right, all right. All right, and this one is from uh, Jim, Jim G, uh, at Jim the Hobby Collector on Instagram. And Jim says, all right, fellas, first question from me. I finally got a Makita track saw and went for the full 110-inch track. I'm going to tear down my old 2x4 oversized workbench and start over with a nice miter saw slash work area cabinet wall. My plan is to go about 30 inches deep to accommodate my DeWalt du sliding dual bevel giant miter saw while also giving me ample assembly area. Maybe an MFT style work area on one side, maybe T-tracks here and there. I'm going to leave it a little open-ended for you guys to play around with the idea. What would your dream work area like this include? No limits, all the bells and whistles. No one to tell you no. Mm. Thanks for taking my question, Jim G. Um, so I'm going to, the, the short answer is my, my dream work area would have four-sided access. Mm -hmm. Um, but it sounds like Jim's intention is to put this, uh, up against, up against a wall. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to answer, I'm going to answer the question, um, assuming, that it, has, yeah. assuming that it has to be, um, up against the wall. Now, Jim, the challenge the challenge with doing, say, a 30-inch deep uh, workspace is it's going to get really difficult to reach your cabinets <laughs> up yeah. top. You know, mm -hmm. when, you're, when your you know, lower body is forced that far away to reach up and across and get to whatever's in those cabinets, assuming you're going to put cabinets up there, which it sounds like you want to, um, just consider that. But that aside, I would, I would, f my, my dream, my dream setup if I had to go along the wall, would involve um, kind of a, a, a fold out or flip down uh, peninsula that comes out of the, down the middle of one of those sections, because mm -hmm. I want the ability to, um, I want, I want some clamping flexibility um, yeah. that, that, that can be difficult to get. And I know there's lots of hold down clamps and things like that, but uh, you know, too often, I've got a couple spots where I've got a workbench up against the wall, and I've got an assembly table that's kind of pushed up against the wall in my shop. It's really mm -hmm. hard to, you know, when you get something that's a little bit wider and it feels like it keeps wanting to tip off, tip off your table, or there's not, you know, it's hard to then clamp down on the far side of the table. Having having a kind of a, a peninsula uh, coming out coming out of your assembly area would be really nice for, for some flexibility around how you go about clamping. Mm -hmm. um, I would, I would, 
I would like having a torsion box set up there, something where mm-hmm. you might be able to use um, some different different hold downs uh, in that on the assembly side of it. Um, I you know I'm not a big fan of T track. Um, yeah, me neither. Yeah, but you know I would probably run a uh, like a dovetail groove vertically on one one face of the cabinet or in a couple spots there mm. just to get some face clamping capability yeah. using like mm-hmm. the micro using uh micro jigs dovetail clamps i've yeah. got i've got a pair of those in my shop and those are super helpful um yeah to use that way um yeah that yeah i, I value i value just clean flat open open surfaces um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which then give a, fl- give you the flexibility to, uh, to use in a lot of different ways. We, what would you, what would you do? What would your dream workspace? Like would- so I remember talking with my buddy, Anthony Vizzini of wooden plane here in Huntsville, and he does a lot of large glue ups and he is limited on space, although not nearly as limited as, uh, as I am or as Jim is. And what he had done is he bought one of those vertical clamping, panel clamping rigs. You know what I'm talking about? Where like, you the, put, like the vacuum, the vacuum kind? N- no, 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 no. So it, so, so it's, it's, it's laid up vertically along his wall above his, where is it? Where is it above? No, so it's along the wall. And what it is, it it clamps down on either side if you're doing like a large panel glue up for like, t- like a tabletop. But then it also has the face clamping so that the boards don't slide around. You oh, know what I'm yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yep. So the four, yep. it's a four-way clamping system, but for panels, and it's along his wall. Okay. Um. And so he says that something that really takes up a lot of space, particularly on his assembly table, is when he has to do large panel glue ups for like conference tables or tables or some stuff like that. Right. In which case, he's got to wait until that dries and then he's got to lug it around and deal with it. Whereas if he's got that in clamps off to the side, he still has access to his assembly table and he can do stuff and do assembly. And so I thought that was like, oh, man, if I had a dedicated space like that, that would be so cool to have because yeah. then 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 you're removing that like large clamping area away from your assembly table. And I thought that was really neat. Um, yeah. Now, I don't know if that's I'm just saying dream wise, if like, hey, if I could do that, that'd be really, really neat. Uh, the other thing that I thought about is um, so. Uh, I like the idea of clamp holes and, and I don't know who had done this. I don't want to say it was Eric Levenger of Poplar shop. But I, I just cannot remember, but he had set up a dog hole like assembly table, but basically was a ripping and cross cutting table that he could take his, um, his T tra- his uh, track saw, and he could place it along lengthwise to the table or yeah. widthwise to the table. And he used the dog holes to make sure that the material was perfect, perfectly 
perpendicular to the track itself so he could do cross cutting and ripping cuts and it was just integrated into the table and so then he could take the tracks off the t track uh, not the t track but the uh, uh track saw tracks off hang it up or put it somewhere and it's just a normal assembly table and you've got all the dog holes so you got all the horizontal clamping surface yeah. I, I thought that was really neat. And I tried to do some, I do have something like that with my assembly table, my moat, my multifunctional outfit assembly table. I do have stuff like that. I just, it, it's hard to get around because the table saw is on the one side. So I'm kind of limited by only having access on three sides. Yeah. Yeah. So. The other, the other two things that, that I would add is have lots of outlets spaced pretty close together down that wall because yeah. it does yeah. seem like if you're gonna have a long a long wall of cabinetry like that um having having a lot of outlet access and maybe even outlets on the front of front of your lower cabinet there um so the cord isn't coming coming across the uh workspace and then um figure out what you're doing for dust collection and mm -hmm. make sure you've got good good dust collection access all the way all the way down that run so if you know, on one side you're doing maybe some router work. If uh, if you've got a, a dust hose attachment on your router, you're able yep. to easily hook that up without having to lug a whole bunch of stuff around. Um, yeah. And one way right. you can and one way you can do that is you can you could even put your shop back in a like a cyclone dust separator underneath mm -hmm. your underneath the work surface there, and uh, that's how that's how I have one of mine set up. So I've got a, yeah. a hose always at the ready. Yeah, I know a lot of guys that do that. In fact, actually, I even know some guys that uh, some folks that um, have the have the hose coming out through the table. Yeah, um, and then they can they can pitch it in and just hide it when they don't need it, but then just go down in there and grab it, and it comes out. So it's kind of access towards the uh, center of the table, so that it's not like coming over your shoulder or off mm -hmm. to the side or something like that. Yep. So that's a great yep. idea. Yeah. Good. Well, awesome. Well, I got the I got the last question. This is from Joshua Widner. Uh, hey guys, Josh here. Hope this is the right way to contact you all. It is. We got a hold of it. My question is, what machine do you think you can get away with in order to produce the most projects? I was thinking a lathe for drinkware, baseball bats, and so on, depending on a mini, midi, or full-size lathe. But I'm no expert by any means. I only had a couple of years of shop experience in school, and most of the terminology has escaped me since. But all the hands-on experience is still fresh in my mind, and I'm hoping to get back into this hobby starting up again. Thank you. So I found this to be an interesting question because I, I didn't exactly... Uh, so the way I take it is the one tool to do the most with. But I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go the null on this. And the first thing I'm going to say is the one tool that I seem to be able to do the least with, <laughs> and then the one tool that I feel like I can do the most with. Um, yeah. The one tool in my shop that I feel like I could do the least in with, and the one tool that for whatever reason I cannot find a way to get rid of it because it is way too big. In fact, actually, I probably should get a smaller one. I'd probably be happier. But it is my lathe. I have huge lathe it is uh 1846 or 1848 so it can throw an 18 inch diameter bowl if i wanted to um so it's the throat from the center to the bottom of the way 
is like nine inches. So you could do like an 18 inch bowl, right? It's a huge bowl. Um, and it can do outboard, outboard uh, turnings and whatnot. I am not even a turner. Can I tell you that? Like the only things <laughs> I turn are like, like drawer pulls and like little tiny, like spindle legs, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like it, it's a, in fact, actually this past weekend, I, I, I made uh, these little short stubby legs for the, um, walnut sideboard that i'm building remember i showed you that yep. uh small yep. walnut sideboard? so i made those legs uh but i don't get rid of it because it is such a good lathe it, it does quite well i got it for a really good price with a whole bunch of tools with it and if i were to get rid of it i'd have to find something to replace it because i do two three maybe four times out of the year need a lathe just to turn a small little thing and it just is like it is extraordinarily handy when i have it because if not i'd have to go to a friend or find somebody with a lathe in order to to use it so i don't know it's probably like the least useful tool in my shop but when i need it i really do need it how about you brian what's the least useful tool in your shop least useful tool in my shop gosh i'm looking around right now um i know this is gonna be i know this is gonna be really controversial and this is this is this is this does not mean that this tool is not useful because it is highly useful i just don't use it it's my uh -huh. router table really yeah i wow. and the reason <laughs> it's sad because it's a great router table. It's a flat cast iron top and it's got a, the Porter cable, the three and a quarter horse beast of a router in it. Yeah. But my lift is this like crummy old bench dog lift. And I've got to use a, like a wrench to raise and lower it. And it's so unenjoyable <laughs> to use that. I just don't use it because it's so Can difficult. you take the lift out of it? Can you put a, a different insert lift? hundred percent. Yeah. One oh, of okay. these days I almost bought the Incra, uh, lifts when it router or when Rockler was running a they were running a twenty percent off sale uh, last gotcha. month and it would have been like four hundred bucks all in. And yeah. I almost bought it, but I said, they're not cheap, but, man. But they're no, they are nice. But, but if yeah, if it was and the other thing, right? This is so silly, but I only have a single uh, like throat plate for it uh -huh. um, or ring insert, I guess whatever we want to call that. Um, and it's it's just too it's too big for most of the bits that I spin, and therefore <laughs> I just, right. So one of these days, one of these days, I'll have a different answer there. So so the least least used or least useful to me in at, at this point in time is the router table. Um, I, I use I use my table saw for absolutely everything. So um, would you say the table saw is the most useful? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, man, I, I hate saying it. I hate saying it because I feel like I'm like the table saw is such a crutch for me. But like, I do use this table saw for everything. Tenons, I mean, I this, all, that. All, exactly, tenons, grooves, like uh, any any angles, like miters, um, all of it. You know, I don't I don't use a miter saw. The only my, I've got a Dewalt miter saw, but it sits up in the garage until I need to cut trim or crown molding. Um, mm -hmm. So I do all of my all of my joinery cuts, um, face frames, you know, everything like that on the, on the table saw and just two blades. I've got a flat tooth blade and then I've got just a general, general purpose blade that I use for it. Um, yeah. 
And man, that thing is, it's a workhorse. I'd do everything on my table saw. Um, you know, the, the miter saw is one, another one of those tools I could probably get away with not having it, but I yeah. really like having it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I use, I use jigsaw now just to even break down rough lumber. You know, if I've got yeah. a 10 foot board in the garage and I need to make it smaller to get it downstairs, I'll just bust the jigsaw out and um, break it down that way. I, I just, yeah. I don't like using the miter saw at all. Man, for a while, for like about three or four years, I didn't have a circular saw. Yeah. And breaking down lumber, I would use the jigsaw. And like, it's fine. It just yeah. takes a little longer. Yeah. But, but man, once I got, once I got the circular saw, man, I was so yeah. happy. And I got one of the uh, rigid um, worm drive. Is um, it cordless? Rear, no, no, it isn't. I do have a cordless Milwaukee now, but man, this was yeah. a honking heavy like 40 pound like yep. circular yep. saw thing is just a beast but man it would hog through material no problem like cut it right clean yeah. it was a corded machine and it was actually a rigid refurb i don't think they sell it anymore but it was really nice it, i still have it i i actually use it as a backup because i really like my battery powered uh circular saw a lot <laughs> yeah yeah so so all right. Well, I think that does it for the questions, Brian. What do you got going on in the shop, man? I I'm trying to get I'm trying to get my mirrors over the finish line. The the mirrors that are they've got a really curly ash veneer um, on it, and I finally got the mirrors themselves that are going to go in the in that frame. And the frames are are roughly built, but I've got a lot of sanding work and kind of need to ease the edge of the frame and. How how are you gonna set the mirror? Well, <laughs> it's part of why it's stuck right now because the mirror is a bit stuck. <laughs> oh. <laughs> listen, Be listen. I make no advertisements about being good at woodworking, people. I am, <laughs> I am, I am. I am I, the struggle is real, and my frame was just the tiniest bit out of square, I guess. So I like, I'm like a. 64th of an inch off from just, this mirror. Just be frame. careful, man. Don't get that thing to crack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just, I'm going to get, I could just have to get the prize, the sander out and just finesse hey, hey, one of those inside frames. Maybe the, the skew chisel. <laughs> I will report back on the next podcast on if the skew chisels got their maiden voyage. <laughs> yeah, you get in there, get in the corner, you know, yeah. get that out, clean you know, it out. You know, it just might be the perfect time for it. And oh. I've got a right and I got a right and a left, so it doesn't matter which corner I'm going into. <laughs> Put those cute chisels to good work. Huh? They're, getting, they're getting their they're getting their work in. I, I'm calling it now. Oh, what are you working man. on? What are you working on, We? So I actually I put a little bit of pause on the uh uh the china cabinet because I, okay. I I've I've really got to start on this sideboard for my wife. I mean, she's pregnant and like, I just got to get it done for her and she's been waiting a really long time. So I'm just going to put a little pause and the client knows about it and they're okay. I'm putting a little pause on the, on the China cabinet, uh, man, I'm, I'm getting close to finishing that thing too, but I just have to put a little pause on it. And man, I went gung ho on the last two weeks on this sideboard. I've got Whoa. all the panel. Yeah. I glued up, you know, uh, two days after, uh, we got off of the podcast last week, I got the material from MR CR Mooters paw. Yeah, Man, that, that stuff came in fast. Like it, yeah, it was like two day shipping uh, freight. I was shocked at how fast it came to us. Um, but I got it on a Friday. Uh, I really 
I know this is not like really well advised, but I did not let it uh, acclimate very long to my shop. And I, and I don't feel bad about it because I know it's kiln dried. You know, it wasn't out in the elements for very long. Uh, I brought it in. It looked really stable to me. I went ahead and started milling it up that weekend. I went ahead and got all the panels. So the top, bottom, the middle dividers, the outside uh, panels, all glued up. Uh, all the joinery is done on it. I've got the, I did the legs. So, you know, the little short stubby round legs. Uh, and I'm going to, um, I have like these blocks that go underneath and I elongated. I, I did a whole bunch of stuff on this project. Um, so I, I even got the web frame done. So the plywood web frame and the nosing for the, for the plywood, because I, I told you I was going to make the dividers out of plywood. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so, you know, all I have to do now is just like kind of round over the bases that will hold those legs. I've got them, uh, uh, sliced out for, um, the, to put wedges in. So the, yeah. the round, so it's a round tenon that goes into a hole Then I'm going to wedge it. Uh, and then once that's done, I can do assembly on it. And then all I have to do is make the back, the drawers and the, uh, and the doors. And I think, nice. I think the drawer fronts, because I'm going to make them faux drawer fronts and I'm going to make the doors. I, I think I'm going to veneer them. I think I'm going to yeah. do that just to make them really stable. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy that you guys convinced me not to veneer the rest of the carcass because it would have cost me almost about the same, maybe a hundred dollars less, but it would have been a whole heck of a lot more work. Yeah, to make yeah. all that veneer and to, to and to veneer it and bag it up. I'm happy I didn't do that. Yeah, because I was able to get all the panels glued up a lot faster. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah. I'll look, yeah for, I'll look forward to seeing uh, pictures of that. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. I, I'm I'm looking forward to finish it. It, it, it. You saw the design. It's a very modern, mm -hmm. very mid-century modern design. I feel like I've been doing a lot of that as of late. But yeah, very simple design. But uh, it's what my wife wanted. So. You know. yep. Oh, it'll have cock beating along the, um, the, the doors and the drawers, and then a little bit of decorative beating along the center of each of the doors. Okay. So, okay. Or yeah, sort of be, offset nice. asymmetric. Yeah. yeah. Asymmetric nice. is a thing now. It's kind of a big deal. I don't know. Okay. That's what she tells me. She says, <laughs> I want she, it asymmetric. Yeah. All right. You know. All right. Um, so we would like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and the feedback. Please remember, this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. That's you, folks. So if you have woodworking questions you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com, or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And make sure you include the name of the person asking so that we can recognize you and say thank you. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my socials are on my website. Brian, we can contact you where? Um, I do not have any actual social media, but I do have a page on uh, simplecove.com, Sean's website. And my username there is at Brian Schmidt. All right. Well, Brian, it was great talking to you, and yeah, I look forward too. to talking to you again in a couple of weeks, and uh, look Welcome forward to having guy you guy back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right, All right, man. Talk have to you later. Night. See you. Bye.